this nation that we have is a gift of God. Do you believe that? I mean, you should. It's not a perfect nation, but uh, to be reminded of these words from the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. A lot of people try to erase the Christian element of the founding of our nation, but even Thomas Jefferson, who was not a church-going man, he wrote these words, all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, but among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If you travel to Washington, D.C. today, and you go to the Jefferson Memorial, there's several porticos that are there, and on one of the porticos, these words are inscribed from Thomas Jefferson. It's a good reminder. The God who gave us life. You hear a lot about separation of church and state, don't you? These words are on our, they're on our buildings. The God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God. What we're going to do right now is we're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray that the hearts of our nation would be once again turned back to the Lord. And then we'll stand together after I pray and we'll sing America the Beautiful. But the purpose of this, we understand that America has flaws, but we also understand that our nation, our freedoms are given to us by God. And let us, of all people, let Christian people be the most patriotic, the most thankful, the most grateful, and let us be the ones who pray fervently for our country. Let's, let's go to the Lord together. God, we are grateful. We're so grateful that you've blessed us, Lord, with freedom that has been unknown in all of human history. There have been few times when any people have been so free as we are. We're free to, to speak our minds. We're free to assemble and worship. Lord, we're reminded today that there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world who do, do not have this freedom. They, they gather today in fear of government intrusion, in fear of persecution, imprisonment, some even death. So may we never take this for granted. But God, we come and we pray for our country. Lord, as we see, as we see the nation slowly and, and sometimes rapidly drifting away from you. Lord, we, we as your people, we repent. Lord, we humble ourselves. And we pray for revival in America. Lord, we pray for an awakening. Lord, we, I pray that it would begin in churches and in families. Pray for homes to be centered on your word. But I pray for state governments and officials and local officials and our federal officials. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you've commanded us to pray for all who are in authority. So, Lord, we pray that you would turn the hearts of our leaders and our, our citizenship, Lord. We need you. And we pray that you would shed your grace on this land. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that has been the theme, this good news, this gospel. We're not ashamed of it. We celebrate it. Gospel means good news. We look on our social media feeds. We look at cable news. And there's a lot of brokenness around us. The book of Romans tells us why. But it also tells us that through Jesus Christ, all that is wrong and all that is broken can be made right. And so verse by verse, we're diving into this book. Well, we come to our third week in chapter 4, and this will be our last week in chapter 4. But what I want you to see uh, in the introduction is this, and I put it on your handout. This is really the same as where I brought you last week, but it says in Romans 4, Paul continues this theme of justification by faith. Now, justification, that's you know a word that you probably don't use a lot, so if you haven't been with us all through the series, it means being made right. It means that I was a sinner, and I, I still am a sinner, but I've got this problem before God, and it's my sin. And justification means that God declares me to be righteous, justified, just as if I had never sinned. And so that's the theme, that it's not anything that we do, but it's entirely what God does. The just shall live by faith. That's 117. We're justified by faith without the deeds of the law in chapter 3, verse 28. And then here in chapter 4, this idea that faith is counted for righteousness. And that's what we looked at these last two weeks. Now, the title of the message today is Wonderful and impossible. Wonderful and impossible. This idea that we can be made right before God, not through our own efforts, not through anything that we do, but entirely by God's grace, that is a wonderful, wonderful fact. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, people don't realize, we talk about the gospel being good news Listen, even if you do not, even if you're skeptical and you do not believe the gospel, if you understand it, you will at least want it to be true. Because it's that wonderful of an announcement that God would save people like us. It's amazing. It's both wonderful, but then on the other hand, it's impossible. You say, well, that's not very encouraging. Well, stick with us as we go through this because the scripture we're going to come to says this, it may be impossible for us, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So pick it up with me in chapter 4 and verse number 7. Now, I've already, I'm already into the notes, so if you want to turn in and look at uh, the inside page, the, point number one, we're looking at this wonderful song. There's a wonderful song that the apostle draws our attention to in verse number 7. Now, all of the people reading this, uh, or most of them, they would have been raised in the Jewish synagogues. They would have known the Old Testament songs and, and the Psalms of David. And so, the apostle Paul reminds them of this song that they used to sing. I wish that we knew the, the melodies to these songs, don't you? Like, I wish we, well, of course, we'd have to speak Hebrew as well, but at least if we could know the melodies and hear them, I think someday we will, I, I, well, I don't think, I'm sure in heaven we'll be able to know what these songs sounded like. But there are songs of joy, there are songs of celebration, there are songs of sorrow in the Psalms, but this, this is a song of happiness. 
How do I know it's a song of happiness? How do I know it's a wonderful song? And, and most likely a wonderful melody, at, at least at this part, why? Because it, the song begins with what word? It begins with blessed, blessed, a blessed person. And that word means happy, full of joy, contented, at peace, satisfied, blessed. And this is how the song goes from Psalm 32. It says, blessed are they whose iniquities are, what's it say? And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now that, that statement right there, don't let that word impute throw you. We looked at that last week. It's the same word to count to your account. In other words, it is a happy thing when the Lord doesn't count your sin against you. It's a happy, blessed thing when the Lord does not count your sin against you. And what we're looking at in this song, and what the Apostle Paul wants us to take from this is, is that there is a joy, there is a blessedness, there is a happiness that comes from simply being forgiven. This is the wonder of the Gospel. Do you think that we lose that sometimes? I mean, listen, I, 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 that's part of the reason we sing. I, I thought about that in the, in the song service today. You know, there's a reason that God has given us the gift of song and for every generation. I mean, I, when my dad mentioned that song and Aaron put it on the schedule this week, I was looking it up. And there's all these videos. You can look up that song. He, write it down. He's everything to me. If you look that song up, you're going to find all kinds of videos and recordings from the 1960s. There's even a movie that that song was featured in. It's amazing. It was put out by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, one of the blessings, and there's some people that get really cranky about music. I used to be one of those guys. I used to get all cranky about music. And then I just kind of realized that, that God has given the blessing of new songs to every generation. And there were songs that they were singing at camp in the 1960s. And they stopped singing after a few years. But you know what happened? It filled those kids' hearts with joy. And they connected the blessing of their salvation. And there's songs that, and we sang today, And Can It Be That I Should Gain. That song is about over 300 years old, and we're still singing it. Why? Because it's, it's about amazing love, the wonder of our salvation. And then and Aaron got us like on a new song every two weeks. And, you know, that takes a little bit of an adjustment. But you know what? I'm on board. I love it. Because it's just more opportunities. He's given me, he's like four weeks, four weeks, four weeks. But you know what? The, the, the people of God are a singing people. We're called to be a singing people. The joy of the Lord. How many of you grew up on, on like Gaither music and that? That kind of stuff. I was thinking of an old Gaither song with this wonderful thing. Uh, and I'm talking about the message being impossible. It's an old Gaither song, Glorious Impossible. And just the gift of music. I didn't think I was going to take several minutes on this this morning. I'm just kind of flowing with it. Here you go. But that's what we're looking at in these verses. It's a song. We sing about our salvation. We sing about our joy. We sing about the fact that we were lost, but we have been found we were on our way to hell, but we've been redeemed. We're going to heaven. That is something to sing about. That is something to give joy and gladness and let the whole world see it. 
the blessedness of forgiveness. It's a wonderful song. Why? Because what was once thought to be impossible has been achieved, not by our own efforts, but for us on our behalf. But now there's an important question. And that comes to verse number 9. This is a really important question. Cometh this blessedness upon, then upon the circumcision only? So is this gift of forgiveness, is this gift of salvation, is it only available to the circumcision? Or, in verse number 9, upon the uncircumcision also. The question is this, and we'll, I'll, I'll talk about the, if you're, the, the what is circumcision, what does this have to do with anything? Just hold that thought, we'll, we'll come back to it. But the key question here is this, if there is a wonderful, amazing, blessed salvation that was impossible but is now receivable, the question is this, who is eligible to receive it? Wouldn't you agree with that that's an important question? Who is eligible to receive this blessing? Who can have access to it? That is the question. Well, immediately we're introduced to somebody we saw previously in this chapter, and that's here in verse number 9. For we say that faith was reckoned to who? Abraham. He's back. We looked at him a few weeks ago, and Abraham is back. He plays a key role throughout this, this teaching. Abraham's back. Why? What you're going to see, and I'm going to show you a few things very quickly. What you're going to see, and this is the second main point this morning, Abraham and his wife Sarah are examples of receiving the impossible. That's why we're drawn to them over and over again in the Scriptures. And it's not just the Apostle Paul that brings us to them. It's also the Apostle James that talks about Abraham. And Abraham is, is, um, is also featured in the book of Hebrews. Paul references him again in the book of Galatians. Why? Because Abraham is a key person in the biblical narrative. So let's just, I've, you don't need to turn there. I just want to remind us, most of you probably know, but some may not, what the situation with Abraham was. If you went back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17, and I put these excerpts in your notes this morning, you'll find this account. And when Abram, his name wasn't Abraham yet, but when Abram was, say it with me, 90 years old and nine. Don't miss those extra nine years. 90 years old and nine. My dad, make sure you wish him a happy birthday on his way out today, one day late. But he is 60 years old today, yesterday, and five. So, <clears throat> you can say the and five a little bit quieter, right? 60 years old and five. All right. Abraham, Abram was 90 years old and nine. This is years after we saw him a few weeks ago when God said, all right, get up from where you're, you're living and go travel to another, to another place. Now years have passed. He's 90 and nine years old. And the Lord appeared to Abram. You skip down a bit. It says, thou shalt be a father of many nations, except the problem is at this point, he only has one son, and that son was not conceived by his wife, Sarah. This was, um, for lack of a better word, an illegitimate uh, birth that took place. 
he had conceived through his servant, Hagar. Now, God's going to say, God is going to say that there's a plan for this son, Ishmael. But this isn't my plan for you. See, here's what had happened. Many years before, Abram and Sarah had heard this very same promise. The same promise was given years before, but they waited and waited and waited, and the promise never came to pass. So they started to get creative. And instead of just trusting God to fulfill his promise, they said, you know what? We will add our own efforts. This is an important part of the story. We will add our own plan to God's plan. And so Sarah said, here's my handmaid, Hagar. Abram, why don't you take her? You can conceive a son with her, and then that'll be the nation. And so that happened. Unfortunately, that's what took place. But God said, that wasn't my promise. What's going to happen to you, Abram, is going to be something that everyone would say is, what's our word today? Impossible. Well, let's, I'm getting ahead of myself. His name is Abram. My understanding is that the difference between these names are father of many, and then Abraham, he becomes father of a great multitude. Or, and it says, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Then, down in verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Ha, 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 ha. Now, that's important. You gotta, you like that laugh? You gotta circle that or underline it. He laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to him that is a hundred years old? I'm 99. By the time this thing happens, I'll be 100 years old. And shall Sarah, that is 90 years old, bear? You pick up the story a little bit later in chapter 18. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Now, in this passage, what had happened is some God had sent some messengers to them to say the very same thing that he told Abraham in chapter 17. Now in chapter 17, Abraham hears it, and what is his response? He, he laughs. I won't laugh again, because when I laughed, Leah laughed at me. So I, won't do, I don't want to be laughed at. Hurt my feelings. So, now, watch what happens. Verse number 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Anybody else in here ever feel old? She says, we are just a couple of old folks, ready for the old folks' home, as they used to say. Is this, this isn't going to happen for us. And she laughed. Verse 13, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Verse 14, Would you read this with me? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life 
and Sarah shall have a son. Do you know what happened just a, between 9 and 12 months? Well, it was 12 months later because it was the same time of year. 12 months later, in the camp in the tents of Abraham, in Sarah's tent for the first time ever, they heard the sound of a baby crying. And do you know what I think Sarah did at that moment? I'm pretty sure she laughed. You know why I know that? Because Isaac's name, it means laughter. She laughed, but the first laugh was a, (laughs) and this laugh is a laugh of joy. I cannot believe that God did the impossible. And when Paul is talking about the good news of salvation, he goes to the most remarkable story in all of the Bible to remind us that what is impossible with man is more than possible with God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? So back in verse number, in, in, in the book of Romans, back in chapter 4, but now this question about Abraham and his righteousness the idea of circumcision is brought up. Now, in verses 9 through 12, and I'll, I'm gonna, I'll try to move through this quickly now, so follow along with me. But I want you to see this. this. This wonderful, impossible working of God to bring about our salvation, there's two major themes in the rest of this, the rest of this chapter. The first one is this. It is not about who we are. The second one, it's not about what we do. So if you could say those with me. First of all, it's not about what? And then it's not about what we do. Not about who we are, not about what we do. Now let's look at the circumcision controversy. Were you expecting that this morning? Let's talk about the circumcision controversy. In verse number 9, we're introduced to it. Cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only? Now down in verse number 10, pick it up in verse 10. How then was it, how was it then reckoned? Speaking of Abraham, did he get this righteousness when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the what? Faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. I think we just said the word circumcised more than you probably have in the whole year up until now. Why, though? Because this isn't a controversy that is at play today. This was a controversy that was taking place at the time of the writing of the book of Romans. Now, we're all familiar with with the physical act of circumcision on a baby boy, And we understand, and we should understand from the Bible, that that was instituted for the sons of Abraham way back thousands of years ago. But it became more than just a medical procedure. It became a sign of identity for what people? Israel, the Jews, the children of Abraham. That was a... So they they would use that word circumcision to refer to their cultural identity. Now that's really, really important because while you and I do not have the the circumcision controversy at play today, 
Do we live in a world with identity controversy? We certainly do. We absolutely do. You see, what was happening in this day was there was a group of people, they were devout followers of the Jewish tradition, and they believed, they literally believed this, as I did some study on this, it's as you examine the writings of what's referred to as Second Temple Judaism, what the Pharisees taught was that all of the righteousness that Abraham had received from God, get this now, this is their theology, way back in the beginning, Abraham believes God, and God says God counts his faith for what? Righteousness. They believed that as long as they were circumcised, and as long as they had that Jewish identity, that righteousness, what do you think happened to it? It was passed down to them. Now that's interesting. They felt that because they were in the lineage of Abraham, because their identity was we are the children of Abraham, that because of that, their status with God was A-OK, that they were fine. They put all of their confidence in their identity. And Paul is taking a big gospel sledgehammer and just smashing their identity. But you know why he's doing that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus would come, if you remember from the Gospels, the book of John, they would come to Jesus and they would say, well, we have Abraham as our father. And you know what Jesus' answer was? Oh, you are of your father, except his name's not Abraham, it's what? The devil. Like, that was Jesus' approach with these guys. Like, because they're so confident in who they are. They're so confident in their identity. Boy, things do not change. Only the labels change throughout human history. Because our society today and the culture you grew up in, the culture that children are growing up in today, it's really, you say, a lot of people will say this. They'll say, wow, the world has changed so much since I was a kid. Anybody ever said something like that? Okay, don't raise your hand. It's changed so much. But I want to submit to you this morning that people have not really changed. They've simply changed their labels and some of their behaviors. But the heart has always been the same. Because the one thing that humanity has done from the very beginning is put false security in their own personal identity. Now, for the, for the Jewish people here, it was this group identity. It was an ethnic identity. Now, in some ways, we as Western civilization, we've moved away from that. Now, you can go to other cultures today, like in the Arab world, and even in some of the Asian world, where they still have a very strong ethnic or um, a national identity. It's all tied up in that. But really, there's multiple identities that people put all their faith in. And if you look at what I, the statement I, meant, I, I put here, these are insecure identities. In other words, this is when a person says this, there is something about me that makes me acceptable to God, to myself, and to others. That's the essence of this identity crisis that mankind is in. Something about me, it could be the group I belong to. It could be my religious identity. I remember being at a funeral where very little was said about the man's life. And this man had actually trusted Christ as his Savior very, at the very end. Before he, before he died, he put his faith in Christ. 
So he was, he was, uh, his funeral was in a different religious tradition that his family was comfortable with, even though he had become a, a true believer. And I remember this. I remember very little was said about the man's life, and the officiant continually referenced the fact that he was baptized as an infant. He was baptized as an infant. He was baptized as an infant. I think I heard it three times. Now, I praise God that we knew he had personally received Christ before he died. But I thought about that. What was happening? It's very much like the circumcision controversy. It was a belief that because something was done to me as an infant, I was placed into a religious community, therefore I'm okay. Now, that's not as popular anymore, but it's still, it is still the hope of many, many people, and it's a false, insecure identity. There's a group identity. There's a religious identity. You'll find all around us people find their worth in belonging to some kind of oppressed identity. Or maybe they're, they're trying to recreate their identity through a sexual or gender discovery process. But regardless of where it comes from, and the reason that the gospel takes a hammer to all of this is because it is impossible for any person to live up to the expectations that their own created identity demands. If you are going to be, listen, the, 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 the drum of the last month, we just came out of, we just came out of Pride Month. We just came out of Pride Month. The drum of Pride Month is basically this. Decide who you are going to be and be proud of that. Well, we could say a lot about that, but let me just get to the, to, the, to the root of it. The problem is this. When you become the creator of your own universe, you have a lot to live up to. You have a lot to arrange in your life. It all falls on you. That's why Jesus said, if any man will come after me, he doesn't say be proud of yourself. And this goes to homosexual, heterosexual, gay, straight, Rich, poor, proud, unproud. Jesus didn't say, if any man will come after me, be proud of yourself just how, as you are. He says to all of us the very same message. He says, lose your identity. He says, if any man will come after me, let him, if you know it, deny himself and come after me. And then he says, he talks about the wonderful life that he will give us. That's why in Romans, in the gospel, Again, we've got to take this hammer to our human-created identities and surrender them at the cross of Jesus. And look what happens. There's a new identity. Pick it up here. Speaking of Abraham. Now, there's this order that happens. Verse 10. Verse 10 says... How was it then reckoned to Abraham for righteousness? In other words, how did Abraham receive? Remember, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Did it happen before or after circumcision was instituted? How many of you Bible scholars know? Was it before or after? When God said, Abraham, your faith counts for righteousness, did it come before or after the circumcision? Before. You think God knew what he was doing there? Abraham never imagined the Apostle Paul would be referencing that. He says, listen, listen, Abraham didn't get this righteousness because he took this right. In fact, 
he received, in verse 11, he received circumcision as a what? It was a sign. It was a seal. It was, it was the evidence that he had been given this righteousness by faith. And that's the same reason, by the way, that's the same reason that evangelical Bible believers, we're the ones who, we don't baptize infants. We look at baptism in the same way. It's a sign, it's a seal of the faith that has happened in our hearts. And look at this new identity now. Because of this, it says in verse, um, verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision in uncircumcision. Uh, I'm sorry. A seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. Now look at this. That he might be the what? Of the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. Verse 12, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our, tempted to sing it, Father Abraham, of our Father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. You see, the new identity is we are the people of faith following in the footsteps of Abraham. We come to the cross, we lose ourselves, and we become new people following in faith. It's not about who we are. Secondly, stay with me, it's not about what we do. It's not about what we do. There's another controversy. Boy, he lived in controversial times. So look at verse 13. The new controversy is the controversy of the law. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the what? Through the law. There's a promise. Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations. In you, all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. All of your offspring are going to be blessed. How is it going to happen? Is it going to come through keeping the law? No. It's not through keeping the law. In fact, at this time, there was no law. The law of Moses had not even been written yet. This predates the law. But again, there's a controversy. First, they're proud of who they are, but secondly, they're proud of what they do. They say, we have Abraham as our father, we are the circumcised, and then they say, and we keep the law. We keep the law. Now, this issue here also persists to this very day, and that is a performance-based outlook on life. And in the performance-based outlook, I say this, I am acceptable to God, myself and others, because of what I can achieve or produce or because of the quality of the life that I lead. Basically, I am a good person. I do my best. I try hard. I work hard. I provide for my family. I help those in need. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. But look at what happens now. There's another gospel hammer or wrecking ball coming to this one. Verse 14, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. Remember, we saw this before. It's either what you do or believing what God did. You, they cancel each other out. Works and faith cancel each other out. And the promise is made of none effect. What's the point of the promise? If you can achieve your standing before God, what's the point of the promise? 
There is no point. And to many a friend that I've talked with, that, that if somebody tells you, well, I believe in Jesus, but I, always, but I also believe that I have to do my part, you should look at that person and ask the question that I was, grew up on and I heard over and over again. Well, if you could earn your salvation, then tell me this. Why would Jesus have had to die on the cross? Very simple question. Why? Why? That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, if you can do it, the promise means nothing. It's, it's, it, it's meaningless. But it gets worse than that. Because performance-based lives are soul-crushing. Some of you grew up in a system where you just felt guilt, 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 guilt. No escape for the guilt. That's intentional. That's part of God's plan. Because it says in verse 15, because the law worketh wrath or judgment. For where no law is, there is no transgression. What does this mean? I put this, I, I put this problem with performance on your handout. Here's how it works. Here I am. Then comes the law. Thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, not, and boom, 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 boom. The list is just all these things. Now, it might not even be God's law. It might be my society's basic moral system. Whatever moral system it is, that's the law. I'm expected to behave a certain way because this is the, these are the laws that, are, that, that I live by, and I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But the progression is this. Here am I, law leads me to understand that I have Sin. And when I understand that I have sin, then I am under judgment or wrath. You see, if I live my life with no awareness, I feel fine. But then there is some law that, is, that, that comes into play. And God says the plan for the law has always been to give us an awareness of our sin and our des deservedness of justice. That is the point of it. And so what happens is this. Get this. The more I achieve, the more I realize how imperfect I am. The more I compare myself to the standard, the more guilt I experience. Performance-based spirituality leaves me crushed under the demands of a perfect law. The law is unyielding. It's fierce. And so then, of course, Paul concludes with this amazing, amazing series of statements to show that it is faith. It is, not, it is not what I do, it is not who I am, but it is faith in the one who is perfect and the one who can do anything and has done everything, that faith that will overcome the impossible. Verse 16, I just, I just hear Paul shouting this. I don't know what his personality was. But I hear him with this emphasis after talking about circumcision, after talking about the law, he's just exasperated and he says, therefore, it is of, it's faith, it's faith. And he's like, I've spent four chapters on this. Do you get it? Do you understand? It is faith that it might be by grace. It is of faith. What is the it? All of it. The justification, the imputation, the sanctification, the glorification, all of the, all of the spiritual blessings in Christ, that is the it. It 
comes by faith through the grace of God. It is, you see, I believe, that is faith, that God can accomplish the impossible for me. That is grace. By grace, through faith, of faith, by grace, those are used interchangeably. It is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure unto all the seed. Listen, if it's about who I am and what I do, is it sure? No, it's not sure. But if it's faith, if it's impossible for me anyway, and it's entirely by by grace through faith, then it's sure. Because it's not based on who I am or my performance. It's based on who He is and what He has done. There's a certainty. There's a blessed assurance that we have because it's of faith. If it is not of faith, if it's up to me, if it's up to what I do, if it's up to who I am, there is no assurance. Just a cycle of worry and fear and crushing guilt and am I good enough? Am I, am I, is my identity strong enough? No. It is, it is as sure as the person of Jesus Christ that the promise might be sure to all the seed. It's impossible for all, but available to all. That the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed. Now remember, now this is where it shows us it's not about the quality of our faith or the quantity of our faith. It's about the one who we believe in. Before him whom he believed. He wasn't just having faith for, for faith's sake. He was trusting in a whom. He was trusting in a him. Before him whom he believed. Even God. Now, not a weak God. Not, a, not an idle God like all of the nations, but a living God. The one who quickens or makes alive the dead and who calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, speaking of Abraham, I love verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope? But I'm 90 and 9. I'm 90 and 9. That is against hope, believing in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, that 99-year-old wrinkled body, he considered it not dead when he was about a 100 years old. Neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, read it with me with all you've got in verse 20, ready? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He, would, he didn't stumble. He didn't trip. Now, he did chuckle a little. But he didn't stagger. He said, okay, I'll believe. I will believe. He was strong in faith. Now, I find that interesting too because he didn't really look all that strong to me. Right? I mean, from my perspective, he's, he, he's, he, he does the thing with Hagar. He, he laughs when God says it. God just, I just think the lesson from this is God will just take any amount of faith and say, that's strong enough. There it is. And Abraham is strong. All of the strength, all of the strength came from God. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, 
and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, and therefore, it counted for what? Righteousness. It was imputed for righteousness. Look at verse 23. This is cool. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. Anybody else feel that? Like, oh, this was written to me. This is written for me. But to us also, to whom it, that righteousness, that grace, that justification, that peace, all of it, that it, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You see, faith, it is faith that allows me to become who I could never become on my own. It answers the identity question. And it is faith that gives me what I could never earn. It answers the achievement question. Faith makes me who I could never become. Faith gives me what I could never earn. So if you are a child of God, a son or daughter of faithful Abraham, God has already accomplished the impossible on your behalf. So what do you need to trust him for today? What could you face today that he has not already proven himself capable of handling for you? But if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if there's never been a time, if, you would, if you've been struggling and saying, well, I thought it was up to me, I thought, and I've been, I've been creating this vision of who I am and I've been trying to live up to it, you, that is a trap that you will never escape out of. Jesus says to come and lose yourself. Deny yourself, and by faith, receive Christ as your Savior. The just shall live by faith. Faith counts for righteousness. If you've never received Christ, I want to ask you, would you do that right now? You say, what do you mean? I mean, right where you sit, or right where you listen to the message today. Wherever you are, if you've been trusting your religion, yourself, any of those things, today, repent of all that, and in a simple prayer, Say something like this. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that it's all you. Your death and resurrection. I trust you, Jesus. My faith is in you. You can say it different ways. The point is in your heart. Do you right now believe on Jesus for salvation? Do that right now. Don't wait another minute. The rest of us, let's be reminded. He's already accomplished the impossible. What could you face today that he hasn't proven himself strong to handle? Would we, could you come with me to a time of prayer? We'll bow our heads. We'll close our eyes. In just a minute, we'll have some music playing. Take a few minutes just to quiet our hearts. How has God spoken to you this morning? Has God given you assurance this morning? Are you, are you struggling with a fear? Are you struggling with an uncertainty and you just need to 
give that up to the Lord this morning. Realize that He can do the impossible. Just spend some time with Him. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, in this quiet moment, this is your opportunity to do that. As we go to prayer, as the music softly plays, if you've never put your faith in Christ, pray that to Him right now. Tell Him that you are believing in Him right now. Let's, let's go to prayer together. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for the righteousness that you've given to us through faith. Father, we thank you that it's not by works or by following the law, but by putting our, our trust in you. Father, we pray that we'd be challenged to live in that faith today. Lord, that no matter what we face, you're on our side, that you are for us, and that you will help us to overcome it. Lord, I pray that if someone in here doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.